0: episode of the big rhetorical podcast i'm your host charles woods this is the first episode in our emerging scholar series are you ready to hear from emily n smith from penn state university she studies rhetoric and composition there hold on we'll get to her oh my gosh I look at my calendar and I'm like, how can the beginning of the semester already be here? I know. I know. Hold on. Before you start attacking me, I have broached a subject which we shouldn't talk about. I know that. The beginning of the semester. But it weighs on me. I see the date, August 19th. It's coming. I know it's coming and I got to get ready. I'm teaching an internship class and in technical communication that one should be interesting we'll see how that goes I've got a business and government writing class I've taught that before what are you teaching let us know what you're teaching reach out to yeah. us on Twitter at the big follow us on Facebook what are you teaching this fall have you taught it before is it the first time What new projects are you excited about? What are your icebreaker activities? Always feel like students really dislike icebreaker activities. And sometimes I say I dislike them too. But in reality, somewhere deep down in that mind of mine, I think I kind of like icebreaker activities. I like to talk to people. I like to get to know them. I mean, Well, I guess that's why I'm doing this podcast my icebreaker activity I developed last year I think it works pretty well Um, I like to have some music playing throughout the class throughout the semester and so on the first day of the class we develop a Spotify playlist together each student Submits one to two songs and really what better way to get to know someone Than to talk to them about music and the music that they like this activity has worked pretty well In the times that I've done it. I think that it's an activity that Breaks the ice but also immediately builds a sense of community look Here we are as a class and we have on the first day produce something and on Spotify you're able to publish your playlist so together as a class we have produced and published a text our playlist together by the end of the first day and then we can listen to that playlist throughout the semester while you're driving home while you're studying for our final I don't know. I'm not going to really have a final this year. It'll be a final project. So, okay. Back to Emily N. Smith. This is the first episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Series. This unique series of podcast episodes is specifically designed to highlight the life and career work of graduate students like myself and other academics who enjoy discussing the development of their scholarship their pedagogy, and their service to the fields and disciplines of writing studies, rhetoric, and technical communication. So this series of episodes offers participants the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing conversation within our disciplines, but by putting it in the format of a podcast, we can really go beyond our disciplines this record of conversations eventually is going to be a vast catalog of dialogues a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge making and rhetoric writing studies and technical communication but also adjacent fields the idea behind the emerging Scholars series is that it serves as a glimpse into the variety of positionalities and personalities currently working in and defining these areas as well as a way to track specific disciplinary themes as they manifest throughout time. For scholars and practitioners, the big rhetorical podcast emerging scholar series offers the opportunity for us to gauge the future of rhetoric and writing studies and techcom by learning more about the research of graduate students and less seasoned scholars and the issues they face in their life and their research. Our core ideals with this series are similar to a community based writing project, with an emphasis on inclusivity, in localizing knowledge, and in strengthening relationships among peers. We're talking to Emily N. Smith. Her pronouns are she, her, hers. She studies rhetoric and composition at Penn State University in University Park, Pennsylvania. Her research theorizes performance as a mode of rhetorical historiography. She primarily teaches first-year writing and as a graduate assistant to the program in writing and rhetoric, will help train new instructors this coming year. She has served as an officer of both the English Graduate Organization and the Arnold Ebbett Interdisciplinary Rhetoricians, as well as on the organizing committees of Camp Rhetoric and the Center of American Literary Studies Symposium. She's also a committed participant in Penn State's mentoring program. She graduated from the University of Maryland in 2017 with her MA in English Writing Studies and Rhetoric and earned BAs in English and Theater Arts from Denison University in 2015. When she's not teaching or writing she listens to show tunes or hangs out with her partner and their two cats, Lily and Sweet Pea. Her dissertation director is Dr. Cheryl Glenn, and you can see work on display at Feminisms and Rhetorics Conference in Harrisonburg, Harrisonburg Virginia, November 13th through 16th, where she'll be presenting her work Remediating Monuments Networked Sites of Memory. Here's my conversation with Emily N. Smith. you didn't always go to school at Penn State. A matter of fact, you got your bachelor's degree at Denison University in Granville, Ohio? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. How was that experience? Tell us a little bit about Denison University.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience for me. Um, Granville is a very small town, so in some ways I was very prepared to eventually come to State College, which is as small a town as it can be with 40,000 undergrads um, that arrive every fall, but Tennyson is great. It's a small liberal arts college where I felt like small classes worked very well for me and the opportunity to work individually with professors. Um, I became a writing center tutor and I really got to explore a lot of different aspects of um, my interests. And eventually, although I didn't realize it until a little bit later, you know, sort of stumbled into or stumbled towards rhetoric and composition. And then also just had a lot of fun and met a lot of very cool folks.
0: I'll be, I'll be <laughs> up front. I looked at the Denison yeah. University website. It's pretty cool. It looks like they have a pretty expansive music program.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I had some, uh, some friends who did uh, music and vocal performance or instrumental performance. And it seemed, I mean, for such a small school, I think it was very high level. I, I did theater and a little bit of music there. And although I was never interested in going sort of the professionalization route, um, I was definitely aware that I was very lucky to have the the resources.
0: I <laughs> got a BA in English and theater. So you <laughs> were taking part in productions and theater's a big part of your life, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's something I've been able to get back into pretty recently in grad school. I, I found myself as like the theater e English major and the kind of literary theater person at Denison, which made picking a discipline to try to settle in for grad school hard. But I also think it kind of gave me a good start on interdiscipline, like interdisciplinary work. So yeah, it, it, it was, it's been a really kind of good part of my life.
0: <laughs> what is your favorite production you've been in so far?
1: Oh, gosh. That's a loaded
0: question. Um, Oh,
1: yeah. I think think one of the most, I think I'm going to have to say the most recent one. I was in a a production of, uh, I was in the ensemble of Jesus Christ Superstar out here, and the cast ranged from recent high school graduates in State College to parents of recent high school graduates in State College, and, you know, Penn State has... BFAs in in musical theater and in theater. So there were people who were training for this to be their career. And then a lot of the rest of us who just love it <laughs> and are there to have fun. It was a really cool mix of people.
0: So you're there. All right. And then you make a big. Well, what to me would be a relatively big leap from Ohio to College Park at the University of Maryland. And that's where you got your master's degree. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your master's thesis.
1: So at the University of maryland the 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 department asks master students to choose between their phrasing is a thesis and a capstone project. Um, and as far as I can tell, the main difference is time and length, first of all, but then also um, your Capstone project is a revised, seminar paper. The goal is to take a seminar paper, work with a professor, usually the professor for whom you wrote the paper, and start to work on how to transform that into something you might submit for a publication. So I went through that process with Professor Jane Donaworth, um, whose class, Women's Rhetoric Before 1900. I, I'd written a paper about Angelina Grimke, and I sort of continued expanding on that. Um, My research has drifted a bit from the 19th century, so so I still have that paper sitting around. I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to pull it back into the work I'm currently doing, but it's a subject I was really interested in. I have several from my literature classes, too. Um, At Maryland, rhetoric is a concentration of the English MA, so I took a bunch of literature classes, which I really enjoyed, but the papers for which are also kind of sitting in that drawer like I'd love to do something with it not sure what (laughs) not sure when
0: (laughs) but we'll get there that's right absolutely and you mentioned state college I think you said it was as little or as small a town as it can be with 40,000 students how long have you been in uh at Penn State
1: it's about it's almost exactly three years I think yeah. So or wait, no, two. I guess it's two. Um, I'm going into my third year as there we are as a uh, as a Ph.D. student.
0: So you're settled in one.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And I grew up in the Pittsburgh suburbs, so not too, too far away.
0: I guess C's was a, a bit of a homecoming then for you this year.
1: That was great. Although I did a couple of my colleagues who I went with were asking for restaurant recommendations and things, and I had to kind of break it to them, that like, I grew up in the suburbs. <laughs> like, I I know how to get around, but I'm, I'm not up to date on the, the best places to go. <laughs> so yeah, I, I had kind of a head start on at least knowing, like, which streets were one way <laughs> and, which, <laughs> and which were two way.
0: <laughs> you grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, yeah? So you were there for, like, 18 years then? yeah. How interesting. What did your parents do?
1: My parents are actually both in mental health. So my uh, my mother is a clinical psychologist and my dad has training in um, social work. So I think my mom has said to me before that she kind of expected since they both have graduate degrees, um, they they were not they don't know a lot about my field, but they understand a little bit about the process. You know, they know what exams are. They know what a dissertation is. So, that's helped, kind of.
0: <laughs> that's cool. So, you're at uh, Penn State, and you are working with, uh, you're, you're starting your third year. Have you established a committee? Yes. You yep, have. have. Who's, who are you going to be working with?
1: Um, my chair is Cheryl Glenn, um, and my the rest of my committee is uh, Debbie Hahee, Stuart Salber, and Pamela Van Heitzma, who's over in uh, Communication Arts and Sciences here.
0: So I'm guessing since you've got Pamela on your committee, you have to reach out to someone in a different college or in a different program to be on your committee. Could you talk a little bit about Penn State's program and your process about choosing that person?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, we do we do have to have before our exams an external committee member and. Typically it's encouraged that when you're still in coursework, you take a, at least one class or a classroom more outside the department. That's a great way to meet you know people who might be potential external members for you. Also, depending on your your field and your specialization, you might you know, be in reading groups or go to events on campus with other faculty members. So I, I did, I did take, I took an archives class with, with Pamela, which was fantastic. And probably, I mean, you know, one of the best folks you can take an archives class with. And she was the most recent addition to my committee because I took my class with her towards the end of my coursework. I came in having identified um, Cheryl and Debbie as people I would like to work with um, based on their, their research um, and what I knew about them as a scholars. And then having taken courses with them, I just, you know, that only sort of affirmed um, my sense that they were, you know, uh, doing really interesting work and were also, you know, great teachers and were people I could could learn from. Adding Dr. selbert Stewart to the committee was a little bit of a surprise because I've always considered myself not Prior to coming to Penn State, I was, I was very adamant about not really doing digital stuff. And it was probably in Stuart's class, which was the second or third digital class I had taken in grad school, that I realized that I could not say that anymore. <laughs> and that I, in fact, clearly do have some interest in, in digital rhetorics to, first of all, accept that. Um, and then to learn a little more about uh, the different multimedia work in rhetoric and composition.
0: I see you've got a publication under review at Rhetoric Society Quarterly. Yeah, fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed. It's titled A View from the Hill, One Shot Harris and the Pittsburgh Courier. First of all, I appreciate just from the title that you have localized your research. And I think that is, well, I think it's important, but I also think it's an overlooked aspect by many scholars of, of the way that research should be done. So, could you talk to us a little bit about that uh, project, what it is, and what, what what you expect from it?
1: That project kind of came to me a little serendipitously. At the very end of my time at Maryland, I I visited the um, African American History Museum, which at that time was it was the first year or so that it was open, and I stumbled across it was in I think a, a not really a exhibit not about photography. But there was a a series of photographs and one of them pictured a young man wearing a a sweatshirt with the name of a private school in Pittsburgh on the front. And, you know, what's walking around in D.C. that kind of struck me. And I thought, oh, I I grew up pretty close to there. Who who took that picture? Like what's what's going on? And I saw the photographer's name and kind of jotted it down as something I would want to look into further And then when I kind of, you know, got home and did some research, I realized um, I discovered um, more about Tini Harris, who was a well-known in some circles photographer for uh, the Pittsburgh Courier, which is still in existence, although it sort of changed venues and hands a a number of times over the course of the year, but which is Pittsburgh Black-owned newspaper. And especially at the period of time, Harris was a staff photographer for them, was doing some really interesting work in, in Pittsburgh and also, you know, in kind of connection with other members of the black press um, across the country. So uh, that's sort of how I stumbled into it. And then in in Cheryl Glenn's class on history and historiography, I thought, well, I'm very interested in historiography and I just find something really interesting in what these pictures can tell us um, and what kind of history they share um, that maybe isn't accessible in some other venues. So that was really kind of how it got started And working with Cheryl and working also in an uh, article writing class here at Penn State that I was fortunate enough to take really helped kind of refine the argument I wanted to make about how these photos show not strictly an iconic type of history, but more of a sort of everyday on the level of the people who are actually experiencing life in the historically Black neighborhoods in Pittsburgh. So I've sort of worked on refining those terms. And now um, I look forward to whatever feedback the wonderful folks at at RSQ can offer me.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm sure you're going to get wonderful (laughs) feedback from all reviewers, including number two, right? Absolutely. So I know that you were in Pittsburgh at C's and you presented there, you had a presentation called Teach History the Way It Really Was, Archival Deliberation, Rhetorical Education, and the American Bicentennial. What struck me about this specific presentation of title was American Bicentennial. And so I might be indulging a bit, but could you talk to us a little bit about that project specifically and your reception at C's? That's-
1: came from my my archive seminar, we had the opportunity to select either a collection in Penn State's archives or another archival collection um, with which we wanted to work. Um, It was one of my smaller seminars. So there there were five of us, and I think it worked out that Two picked Penn State collections and three picked external collections. And, you know, we sort of worked through the process of, you know, reading archival scholarship, talking about what you can. It was also a class that talked a bit about information and we talked about what what information archives can can and do offer us and the archive i ended up with was the the free it's called freedom then now and tomorrow which was an initiative is a title i i really enjoy saying but for the purposes of a conference paper I had to abbreviate to FTNT it's an initiative at penn state that took place in i think sort of like 1974 to 1977 ish that started with the sort of adult education program and turned into this effort to really coordinate. You know, Penn State has something like over a dozen Commonwealth campuses throughout the state. And this initiative had sort of a centralized spot that made the documents to, they wanted to have town hall meetings so the some folks in University Park I think put together the documents for those meetings, you know, the questionnaire, a film to show, that sort of thing. But then the meetings actually occurred throughout the state. So they they had faculty from the commonwealth campuses and also community leaders sort of convene these various meetings in the year sort of leading up to and the months following the bicentennial. And I was just interested in I thought this was such an interesting project, particularly because Pennsylvania is such a strange state. Um, And I say as a native Pennsylvanian with with a lot of love, there's a pretty dramatic difference between certain areas of Pennsylvania and others. So I was curious as to what those meetings really showed. And if, if they were asking questions, which the questions, some of them were very silly and they were sort of like, what do you think freedom is? They were these really big questions. And they asked, like, sometimes academics, but they also asked just like regular, you know, working folks. They asked, uh, you know, Boy Scout troops. They asked school children, like, what do you think freedom is? And what do you think is a threat to freedom? And what I liked about the archive is that it didn't hide the fact that sometimes people's responses to that were you know, bigoted, you know, that sometimes they think threats to freedom are marginalized people or they think a threat to freedom is that they aren't allowed to just, you know, say whatever they want or do whatever they want. So I appreciated that it really kind of gave some space for that because I think doing otherwise would be not terribly representative of, you know, just the scale of respondents. So I wanted to look at the deliberation bit is that I wanted to look at how these varying responses kind of spoke to one another and how they could sort of speak to us in a contemporary world where we're talking about town meetings a lot as well. And, you know, talking about how to teach deliberation to our students. So the reception at Seas was very positive. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the folks who, who came to our session. We had some great questions. I think... If, I'm, if I recall correctly, the questions directed to us were largely sort of about archival, pro- the process of archival research, uh-huh. a few questions about each of the archives we picked. But yeah, it was a really interesting kind of, there was some, some, some great variation in, the, in on my panel, which was other folks from the course. So that was a great opportunity.
0: It continues to confound me how people can see marginalized or often othered individuals as a threat to freedom
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i'm totally with you
0: and as a former archivist uh, in graduate school um I, it sounds like some of the the work that you're doing is so fascinating and um and I have a lot of questions too about archival processes and and research and and how to do that ethically. Um, yeah, I think it's fascinating fascinating conversations going on there. So I'm glad that you had a good reception in Pittsburgh back in March, but I see that you're also going to be at FEMRET in Harrison, Virginia in November. Have you ever been to Harrison before? I'm Harrisonburg. Not. Harrison Berg, I'm saying yeah. all along.
1: <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I, I I had to look up, I think I've had to look up several times where it is and how to get there. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you're going to be there with your project, Remediating Monuments, Network Sites of Memory. Thank what should uh, people who are going to be at FEMRAT look forward to with that project?
1: That is a, a project that I'm looking to develop into a dissertation chapter, and it's in a pretty early stage. They should look forward to finding out some more about um, the Monument Lab project um, if they don't already know about it. I, I discovered it largely thanks to a presentation by uh, Jess Enoch from Maryland, and it's a project that started in Philadelphia and is now kind of expanding to to do site to do site specific works and to do elsewhere, and to do works that sort of transcend site. They also have a podcast initiative going on. I strongly recommend people follow them. It's a very interesting podcast.
0: Monument Lab.
1: Yeah. And it's a group of folks from University of Pennsylvania initially, and they've recently started doing a uh, fellowship program for people doing part of their work is Suppose it is supposed to build the monuments of the future, is their phrase. And they with that, they mean, I think, using a sort of range of technologies and also with an eye to social justice. So building sort of more just and more representative monuments. So they can look forward to learning more about that and to hearing kind of the beginnings of my thoughts of how they're using multimedia in a very interesting way, that I would love to think with them some more about.
0: (laughs) I love that teaser. (laughs) I also see, Emily, that you've done some work with the Rhetoric Society of America uh, and that you conducted oral history interviews for RSA's 50th anniversary project. First of all, thank you for your labor and your time on that project. Tell us a little bit about that project. What did that entail? What did you learn? I
1: believe initially organized by Eric Detweiler.
0: In Tennessee.
1: <laughs> I forgot his institution. Um, but Eric sent out an email recruiting participants. If you're going to be at RSA, if you're interested in this kind of work, And my my travel plans fit in well. So, you know, I put myself on the sign up sheet and it was great. It was a really well run setup there. It was. And I know that's in part due to Eric. I know also in part due to Jason Tam and a few other uh, volunteers who had been there before me. They had uh, all the recording devices and they had also sort of recruited people who had been a part of RSA at various times in its development. And a lot of them are. They weren't all in the same age range, really, but I think they were in similar generations of scholars. There were folks who had been in early RSA conferences and folks who had maybe been more involved in more recent conferences. I remember there was at least uh, a couple of people signed up whose main role in RSA's history was that they were a part of the first RSA Institute, which was, I think, in the early 2000s. So there was this wide range of people and we were We put what times we were available and they put what times they were available and they sort of figured out how to match that up. So the interview was really interesting. The the technology aspect was thankfully pretty straightforward. I was a little worried about that that learning curve being higher than I than I had anticipated. But we had some some sample questions, and then we're just allowed to, you know, elaborate on any of our um, interviewees' responses and say, you know, how they think RSA as an institution has evolved, what they think is why they enjoy coming to RSA, you know, every other year, what they think the organization does well and can do well going forward. And I, I conducted primarily one interview and then uh, and then turned in my turned in my badge and my uh, my equipment. But from what I could see with with the other interviewees around and with uh, the person I spoke to as well, there's a real sense that RSA you know is doing some really fascinating work in the last couple of years and is really doing well in beginning to diversify the types of rhetoric that we see. Know, who is rhetoric, what rhetoric matters. And I think people are hopeful that that type of work will continue going forward.
0: I know you all are in the middle of new instructor orientation right now. That's a grueling process. Um, <laughs> I wonder, what are you teaching this fall?
1: I'm teaching uh, our first year writing class, which is titled Rhetoric and Composition, which is great. And I, I'm i excited to do it. I, re- I just came off teaching th- this summer and I have now, I like to try to experiment with a couple different things on my syllabus every semester. So this semester, I am trying uh, a new twist on my rhetorical analysis assignment, where I'm actually going to try to take my my class into the special collections and have them look at some of the Penn State institutional collections there. So, so yeah, that's what I'm excited to, to work on this fall.
0: You've got your WPA work. You've got publications out there, conferences coming up. Emily, it sounds like you're a pretty busy person right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm working on uh, on how to balance my time appropriately. I've set sort of a school year resolution to to try to you know WPA work especially and teaching especially. It can be hard to maintain uh, work life balance, so I've 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 made myself accountable to several people in my life that, you know, there will be times when I simply stop checking email (laughs) for, you know, a period of time and times when I just sort of pack it in for the evening and take a break.
0: Lily and Sweet Ah! Pea, right?
1: Yes. (laughs) They're great. Lily and Sweet Pea did not live together previously, so they are uh, they're they're about a month into living with each other as roommates, and they are tolering tolerating each other very well. <laughs> so.
0: that, that is probably <laughs> quite the adventure that you're on with with those two. Indeed. <laughs> Emily, thanks so much for chatting with us today. You feel good about everything? I do. Yeah. Thanks. All right, Good. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you later. Okay rhetorical listeners that was my conversation with Emily N. Smith. I enjoyed talking to her and getting to know more about her scholarship and her cats. Hey you got a cool project you're working on? Maybe you're about to hit the job market? Maybe you just want to expand your digital footprint? Consider being a guest on the Big Rhetorical Podcast. If you're a graduate student or contingent faculty, consider being a epi- uh, guest on an episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Series. You can get in touch with us via email, thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigRed. You can follow us on Facebook or visit www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. Make sure to check out this episode and all episodes available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And look for us to be hosted on Stitcher and Anchor.fm coming soon. Make sure to check out our next episode, which is going to feature an interview with SWCA host institution co-organizer Dr. Jackie Wells from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Okay, rhetorical listeners, that's it. I feel good about it. I'm going to put it out there. Until next time, be kind to one another and don't stop listening.